you're going to be in the book of Nehemiah again today, Nehemiah chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open with us there. Um, each service, I've given more shout-outs to different um, athletic groups in our town because we apparently have a lot of athletic kids and students in our town. So first to our um, Morgan County High School marching band. They got second place overall in their um, state competition yesterday. Just congratulations to them, y'all. They're competing against Gwinnett County and some big school districts. Um, I was told last service, our fishing team got second yesterday. Shout out to the fishing team. Anybody on the fishing team in here? They're probably fishing, you know? No, I'm just kidding. They're not really, y'all. They had a wonderful, wonderful time to our girls' high school softball team going to Columbus this coming week. Y'all just absolutely crushing it and excited to see what's going on there. And for our volleyball team, I think made it to the Elite Eight. So if you're just looking for some good athletics to go and see right here at home, we've got some very, very talented students. So if you know any of those folks, continue to congratulate them, y'all. It's a good time. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our conversation in Nehemiah. This is the last week we're going to actually be um, in Nehemiah. It's a great um, passage, y'all. There's a lot more in this, uh, but next week we're going to actually get into um, just kind of, we're calling it like Discover Covenant Park, just kind of walking through some things there and letting everybody know how we can officially join as one big church family now that there's so many new things going on, but we're going to be walking through that. But I encourage you guys to continue reading this story of Nehemiah. It's been a, I've enjoyed it, enjoyed preparing for it and talking through this. Um, this guy here, if, you, if it's your first Sunday or you haven't been in the last couple Sundays, um, Nehemiah had a, a desire in his heart to build a wall around Jerusalem. He went to the king. The king gave him his blessing and even offered to pay for it. So he sends him back to Jerusalem. He comes up with this pretty solid game plan. He says to everybody, all right, look, just focus on the wall that's right outside of your house. Let's get the vision right there and accomplish that. And they built the wall in 52 days. It's absolutely crazy. We're going to learn about today or talk through a little bit is a recurring pattern in Nehemiah's life. Um, he consistently ran into people who didn't agree with him in what he was called to do. There was criticism, there was pushback, there was questioning and doubts. And yet he consistently navigated through that to continue to do the thing that God had called him to do. It's impressive. I asked the first couple services if anybody would be, and let's call this the Danny camp, okay? Not saying it's the best camp, but it's, a, it's one of two, all right? So would anyone in this room if you're willing to share with your friends, say that you are easily distracted, all right? Like, let's just say these are the two camps, if you're thinking through which way you're gonna vote on this, all right? You got the easily distracted camp, that's where I live, and then you got the focused, I'm gonna get this thing done, I know exactly what's happening, we're gonna dot the I's and cross the T's, like no distractions come anything or high water. If you would say you're an easily distracted person, now don't be distract focus, you know? Would you just raise your hand for a second? We got easily distracted. All right, that's every, y'all, we're gonna run, we're gonna have some fun today. Y'all, we're gonna be chasing stuff all over the place. All right, because sometimes people say, and it encourages me, but also makes me go, I wonder why. People say, I just love, how oh, I don't really know what you're gonna say next when you're talking. And so usually I'm wondering the exact same thing. All right, so that's the one camp. Let's say, oh, go ahead, everyone else. Right? If you're the type of person that says, no, I, I know the task at hand. I'm not easily distracted. I can stay focused and accomplish that goal. If that's more you, you're not very easily distracted, would you raise your hand? All right. This is the building committee for the church, right? So we're going to have you all stay after church today, no, right? We need two different groups of people. I very easily get distracted. We'd like to have a lot of fun and chase rabbits and all kinds of things. 
What I found in this life of ours is that when the Lord especially, when the Lord lays something on your heart to accomplish for his glory, y'all, other distractions are going to show up along the way. Sometimes they are just happenstance. I truly believe life gets in the way. Other times they are very intentional. Sometimes by others who may have doubts or questions or concerns about what is being done. Oftentimes in my life, it's from within my own mind and my own insecurities as to whether or not I'm capable of accomplishing what the Lord has laid on my heart. Today, I want us to look at how this man, Nehemiah, navigated through that. He gets a call from God and he starts doing it well. The wall is being built. And yet, over and over again, others come to him with questions, comments, and concerns. Now, before we get into that, I want to let you know, I'm a fan of, of healthy criticism. I'm a fan of healthy accountability of a few folks that we can have around us to say, have you considered this? Those are needed to be godly men and women. But for us, as we mature and disciple and grow in our faith, it's also important to, to be able to discern through that and discern which comments may be healthy, constructive criticism and which comments we may need to say, I'm going to let that one run off like water off a duck's back and continue trusting the Lord. So let's read Nehemiah chapter four, just the first verse, all right? We just have a few verses we're reading today. Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. They're building the wall and this happens. It says, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. Sanballat became furious when he saw what Nehemiah was doing for the Lord. We must ask. So far, no one said yes to this. Does anybody have a friend named Sanballat? Okay, I've been waiting to meet the guy. Wouldn't that be funny if you're like, my name, told you I wasn't gonna go to church. That guy would never come back, right? So I'm not saying any of us have a friend actually named Sanballat, but what I've found is most of us have people in our lives who have tried to discourage along the way. Sometimes even y'all, when we become Christians, when we dedicate our lives to the Lord, when we begin to grow in the faith, those challenges can come our way. We must say, Lord, how do we, sometimes in the midst of receiving those things, continue to pursue you? I'm a simple guy. This first point is quite long, but it's how my mind works. When you are the most determined to fix your life, family, church, or society, others will show up to tell you why it should not or cannot be done. There have been many times in my life where I have felt the Lord leading me to do something and I've talked to my wife and we have prayed, we have searched scripture, we have gotten wise counsel and we go towards that goal. And along the way, a few others have told us why it should not or could not be done. That can be very discouraging. If you've ever had the Lord lay something on your heart or right now you're currently pursuing something that you believe God has given you to pursue, one of the last things you wanna hear is, well, let me tell you 10 reasons why that's not possible. Now we need to consider the options but we must remember who it is that does the calling. Church, our God is worthy of receiving the credit for doing the impossible. We serve a God that likes to do the impossible. There's a difference between asking why I cannot do something and why my God can't do something. Y'all, there are some things, if I can be honest, and I would love to tell my kids this. Can we have, this, is a, this is a third service. We can be honest with each other, right? I love to tell my kids what everybody else is probably tearing their kids and they're saying sweet things like, oh baby, you can do anything you set your mind to. 
you just put your mind to it. There's a whole new movement. It's not really new. It's an Eastern philosophy that says you just like believe it into existence, right? You just believe it with all your might. Hear me out. When it comes to like preaching the gospel, being a faithful follower of Christ, 100%. Can we be honest? Are any of my kids in this room? This is a safe space. My kids are probably not going to be professional basketball players. You know what I'm saying? Can we be honest with that? Do y'all feel comfortable with that? Probably not going to be able to do that. Does that mean if they come to me today and say, I feel like I can, I should tell them as their father? That's the dumbest idea. Of course. So we're going to say things like, let's, let's try, you know, we'll get some lessons. We'll figure this thing out. Of course not. Y'all, when we're saying God likes to do the impossible, could he call one of my kids or somebody in this room in the professional MBA? Absolutely. But I've got to acknowledge that there are things in this life that I am not very capable of doing on my own. I serve a God who promises to be with me and walk with me and give me the strength. We know the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but I want to use that in the correct context. When God calls us to do something and in our minds we think, Lord, I don't know if that's possible. Y'all, to me, that's where the Lord likes to really show up and show out. Because it's one of those few times in life where we can't take credit for anything. And we can say, no, I serve a God who has just done the impossible. I cannot do some things on my own. I've come into peace with that. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to do it. Anybody grow up in Sunday school and learn a song? It went something like this. Father Abraham had many. Come on, we get distracted. We can sing the whole song if we want to right now. Many sons had Father Abraham. Some of us had felt boards and learned about that guy. I remember learning about Father Abraham and our teacher would say, go home tonight and look up at the stars. And the Lord told Abraham, your descendants will be more than the stars. And I did that. I went home thinking this Abraham guy was legitimate. You ever read about Abraham's life? Y'all, he was kind of a mess sometimes. I've got this list. I've read it before. It's one of my favorite little references to do in a sermon of some of the heroes of the faith in the Bible. Some of the men and women that God used to do impossible things that if left up to themselves, it wouldn't have been possible. But they trust in a God who was able to do all things because of who he is. So you got guys like Abraham, who according to Abraham was too old to do many things for the Lord. Isaac, his son, was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Bless her heart, right? Like, if that was your description in the Bible, like you're gonna, we're going to meet Leah in heaven one day. She's probably going to be stunning, right? But we're going to go, Leah, you're the ugly one. Like, why would we do that? I don't know, but according to her husband, Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused, Moses was a murderer and couldn't speak well, Gideon was afraid, Samson had long hair and struggled with fear, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah and Timothy were too young, David was a murderer and an adulterer, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked, Jonah ran from God, Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, John the Baptist ate bugs, Peter denied Christ, the disciples fell asleep while praying for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced multiple times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. And yet God used every one of those people to accomplish the impossible. Why? Because of who they were? Hmm. 
because they knew the one who would give them the strength to accomplish the goal, regardless of how they define themselves or how other people define them. Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, for God said, let light shine out in darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and is not from us. Church, something happens when we are willing to acknowledge that we may not be the most qualified person to do everything that the Lord lays in our lap. But he chose to lay it in our lap. He chose to give us that vision. He chose to give you the heart to accomplish what he's laid before you. This is why at our church, we are striving not just to, which is cool, right? We might have 50 new believers this year, 50 baptisms, and I love it. But this is our heart. This is where we're trying to go. We want to just not only baptize our new brothers and sisters in the faith, but we want to raise them out of the water and put their literal hand into the literal hand of another believer that's trusted in the Lord for 10, 15, 20, 30 years so that they can walk out together in intentional discipleship with prayer and walking and trusting and say things like, how do you read the Bible? How do you talk to God? How do you become more like him? Intentional discipleship. Why is that so important? Because we're raising people out of the water and if we're not careful, we're going to say, go, go. And they're going to say, okay, where? How do we do this? Because the distractions come along the way. The discouragements come along the way. The I don't knows come along the way. We must tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Then we must teach them what it looks like to follow in the example of Jesus Christ. The best way to fix your life, best way to fix your church, society, is to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ himself, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I would love to tell you if you're a new Christian or you are trying to do something right now that God has laid on your heart that everyone's gonna support you along the way, but so far in my life I have not experienced that to the full extent. There have always been a few who come alongside and explain why it can't be done, which is why we must be grounded in what God has called us to do and focused on that prize. Nehemiah goes on to say, this, it gets worse, right? Nehemiah 4, verses 2 and 3. So, so Sam Ballot's just saying his thing. And he said this in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria. So there's a bunch of people gathered around. Who are these, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it, talking about the wall for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah... The Ammonite was beside him. There's another guy who's just hanging out, ready to throw in his two cents. And he said to Nebuchadnezzar, to Nehemiah and everybody, yes, what they are building. I bet if a fox went up on that thing, he would break down their stone wall. Like they're getting personal here. They're attacking the construction of the wall. Why are they doing that? We don't have all the details, but they know they don't like what the Jewish people are doing. That has not gone away in the last couple thousand years. They don't like what God has called them to do. And I believe they're seeing a group of people who may be pretty vulnerable in the future. We have found in this passage and in many other passages in the life itself that people will criticize you when you're doing something. Isn't that crazy? When you go about doing something is oftentimes when the most criticism begins to happen. If you do, others are going to notice And the sad part is, some aren't going to like it. 
I got to go to a seminary. They had three words they were all about. Knowing, being, and doing. Knowing who we were in the Lord Jesus Christ, being who God called us to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, and doing what the Lord Jesus Christ called us to do. What I found in my Christian walk, if I focus on the knowing and being, most people are okay with that because it's not really anything sometimes that visible or outward. But when it comes to the doing, that's when the, sometimes the criticism can come. That's when the questions can come. I don't think the devil minds a church that isn't doing anything or a family or a student. My wife was speaking at an education conference at Georgia College a couple weeks ago. It was fantastic. She mentioned uh, in this little breakout seminar how as a high school math teacher, she's always assessing the students, right? Not just when they sit down to do a test. She's assessing them when they're walking down the hall to take the test first. If you're a student, doesn't that make you a little nervous? Doesn't that your, your teachers are always paying attention? Second, if you're married to a teacher, doesn't make you a little nervous, you know? Thinking like, are you assessing? Like, what is being assessed right now? It's just this constant kind of assessment taking place. But one of the things she pointed out is that she's noticed in her classroom, kids usually fall into one of three camps. Every now and then you get a few kids who really in every class you get one or two who are just natural leaders, Whatever the task is, whatever the challenge is, they walk in the door, even without all the instructions, she can say, hey, this is what we're gonna be doing today. One or two kids will go, I know how to do that, I can do that. And they just take the lead and start running with it. Then you have another group of kids made up of more that wanna get close to that person, help accomplish the task, but don't wanna be the person making the decisions because the person at some point might have to take a fall or a hit, right? Somebody's gotta answer for it. But they wanna assist and participate and do everything they can to keep that process moving. And then you got the other group of students, kind of on the periphery, who are so nervous about being called out for anything, they just wanna kind of blend in the background, do just maybe a little bit to kind of get the job done, but please don't call attention to myself. Isn't that crazy how those are high school kids, how most adults also fall into one of those camps? We got a few people in every service that comes in that are natural leaders, regardless of age. We could ask some folks to do absolutely anything and we'd have 10 or 15 people go, I can do that, we can build a wall. I was like, have you ever built anything? It doesn't matter, they're gonna accomplish the task. I think most of our churches in that camp of saying, hey, you know what, that second group of, hey, we're in this, we're gonna push for it, we're gonna go for it, we're gonna study and work and yearn together might not want to be the one person that's making the decision or the two or three people that are making the decision, but I'll be a part of that. And then there are some adults, maybe even in this room, who just do everything possible not to be noticed, just to kind of blend in the background. I'd, please don't call me out or ask me to stand in front of anybody. Y'all, that's just who we are as people. I'm not saying this morning that I believe God's calling everyone to lead everything. Not all of us are called to run for president of the United States. Although... <laughs> Today, I'm not, no, that would be the worst day of my life. Like, some of us might. If it's on your heart, we will pray and fast and seek the Lord with you. But all of us, church, regardless of our natural tendency, our natural personality, all of us are called to follow in the example of Christ. And Jesus was ridiculed and criticized on a very regular basis. And Jesus told his followers, which is countercultural to some even Christian teaching that started recently, Jesus told his followers, if you follow me, others will criticize you. If you follow in his example, others will not like it. They will not celebrate it. They will have difficult questions and oftentimes try to tear it down. So we must ask ourselves, Lord, if I'm gonna fall in the example of Christ, am I prepared to receive some of the criticism that may come my way? Nehemiah was prepared for that stuff. People start asking him questions. Sometimes he had an answer. 
Sometimes he just went straight to prayer. And that's what he does here. Look at this in verses four and five. They're just ripping him apart, saying stuff like, I bet a fox couldn't stand on that hill. And verse four, Nehemiah goes straight into a prayer. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn your back, turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sins be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Nehemiah knew that prayer puts criticism in its proper place. Prayer puts criticism in its proper context. Don't quote me on this. If you do, if you say to somebody this week that you heard it in church, just name a different church. But I promise you, if somebody comes up this week to criticize you and you put your hand up and you say, God, I pray that you allow them to turn into heaps of rubble, like that, y'all, that's, that's quoting some stuff here that might not end the best. I'm not saying we do that. Sometimes the prayers need to be silent. But something does happen when someone comes our way that disagrees with something the Lord has placed upon our hearts to do and has a difficult question or sometimes even tries to tear it down for us to immediately go before the Lord in a word of prayer. Nehemiah had no transition. He went straight from criticism to a very emotional prayer to the Lord. He knew that prayer enabled him to evaluate criticism from God's perspective. By responding the way that Nehemiah did, by immediately going into a word of prayer, Nehemiah avoided allowing his enemies to become the focus of his attention. And as someone who does get easily distracted, I can tell you this, there have been times in my life where the Lord has laid something on my heart to accomplish and I've started to accomplish it, but the one comment or a couple of comments come in and they can kind of plant the seed in your mind. Next thing you know, you're questioning why you're doing it at all. When all the while we serve a God who says, bring everything before me in a word of prayer. There may be some people hearing this right now that say, God doesn't want to know what's on my heart. He doesn't want to know my thoughts. I am too angry, too frustrated, too broken, too confused. I promise you the God that I know wants to know all of it. The most passionate prayers in the scripture. You ever read the Psalms? This joker David is laying his heart out before the Lord. And the Lord calls him a man after God's own heart. Was that because David had life figured out? Absolutely not. It's because he consistently went immediately to the Lord. So if you're in a time of life where you're trying to figure out what to do or what's next or which direction to go, one of the best places really is to start to go before the Lord. Especially if there's criticism or question, especially if someone's trying to tear that down. God can take anything we say to him Take it to the Lord in prayer. I want us to be the type of church who doesn't say things like, well, I guess all we can do is pray and says things rather like, man, let's take this to the Lord right now. Take it before the Lord. Ask him for help. Seek his guidance in that. Nehemiah did it. In the midst of those people, he went straight to the Lord and started praying. Then we close with this in verse six, all right? So these people come, Samballot and Tobiah. They're criticizing Nehemiah. They're questioning everything that's being done. Nehemiah prays over them. And then verse six says, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. Y'all, Nehemiah was focused on what the Lord had called him to do. He didn't allow the distractions of this world the questions or frustrations of other people hinder him in doing that. 
If God is calling you to do something, it is worth doing. We as followers of Christ are to press on toward the goal to win the prize. We must stay focused. Isn't it crazy how things can change as you get older? Anybody that's married in the room, maybe before you got married, you thought, oh man, I bet it's just gonna be a honeymoon for 65 years. Anybody that's been married longer than 32 seconds, has it been a honeymoon for six? No, it's always a honeymoon. Still married. The plan still sometimes changes, but the vision's still there. You ever see like Norman Rockwell pictures back in the day and you think, I bet when I have kids, we're all just gonna hold hands around a turkey waiting to be carved. Everybody's gonna get along all the time. It's gonna be lovely. It doesn't always happen like that, does it? Why is that? Because sometimes life changes. Difficult things happen. Criticism comes our way. Sometimes we mess up and have to get up, dust ourselves off and continue moving. I've been reminded this week that visions are refined. They don't change. Plans change. They rarely stay the same. Y'all, it's okay to change the plans as long as the vision remains the same. We've got to start and end there. Lord, what have you called me to do? Nehemiah was called to build a wall. He started building the wall. It was knocking out of the park. People came up to question him. Did you hear that line that said the armies were waiting around? Why were the armies waiting around? They're getting ready to attack these guys. They're like, they don't have a wall pretty stinking vulnerable. So what does Nehemiah do? Did he say, this is getting too uncomfortable. Uh, Looks like we messed up. We'll let the next generation take it. No. Nehemiah said, all right, brother, this is what we're going to do. You're going to start building that wall with your left hand and with your right hand, you're going to hold onto a sword. And if anybody jumps over the wall, just chop their head off. We'll be fine. Be totally good. Can you imagine you've been building a wall? You're like, this is going pretty good. And all of a sudden they start passing out swords. Why did Nehemiah do that? Because the plans had to change. Why did the plans have to change? Because the vision was still there. He knew that God called him to build a wall. Lots of opposition was coming his direction, but he continued to pursue it. It slowed the process. Plans had to be changed, but the vision God had given him remained constant. Yesterday, I had a chance to do a wedding for a student that was in my youth group about 10 years ago. His name is Michael Bolson. Michael Wilson was 12 years old when I met him. He was a a sixth grade little boy at Haven Fellowship Church in Conyers, Georgia. Britt did a conference for us one weekend. Michael Bolson's wedding, he married Martha Guzman, whose family's from Mexico, and they had a live mariachi band for the reception, and it literally changed my life, okay? (laughs) By far, the most fun at a reception I have seen, we did our thing, that cake was still sitting there waiting to be cut. Like hours into this thing, my friends that I had made were leaving to go change shirts and put on a new hat because the party was about to get started. And I was like, how are we about to start this party? It was so much fun, y'all, and I'm so proud. But when I met that young man, he was one of the members of my youth group at my last church. Why would I share that story in conclusion on a Sunday morning? I was a youth pastor for eight years. Before that, my wife and I were the past, I was a pastor, associate pastor of like 18 different things at Woodland Hills Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. They hired me to, and paid me before taxes $600 a month to be the associate pastor of seven things. Then they decided they needed a custodian because the custodian quit. True story. So my wife and I were like, we'll do it. They doubled our salary. True story. They doubled our salary. So we went from 600 bucks a month, brand newlywed couples. We're trusting the Lord. Her parents are really trusting the Lord because I'm like, we're going to serve the kingdom and start, but we did that. 
in a church sanctuary that could hold 650 people. The entire time we were there, it continued to go down in number because people were passing away. On average, we had 30 people in the sanctuary. Two murders in the church parking lot the one year we were there. Actual murders in the actual church parking lot. And yet I knew that God had called me to the ministry. And he called us to serve the local church. The vision was there. The discouragements oftentimes came. I always remember, and, and we tried, y'all. We're just an honest group of people right here this morning. In eight years at our church in Conyers, Georgia, I never one time had a youth gathering where more than 20 students showed up. I'm sure there were people in the church, they never told me, that probably said, we could do better than this guy. <laughs> like, but what do people see today? You want to hear some crazy? These are some crazy numbers. Nine years ago in Morgan County, we didn't exist as a congregation. Didn't exist. This Sunday, along with every other Sunday for the last two years, we have had the largest gathering of Christians in any church in Morgan County, Georgia. We broke ground on a piece of property right up the street. We're like breaking ground. This is crazy stuff, and I don't understand it. Like we broke ground on property right up the street. We are right now constructing a facility that's the largest religious facility in the history of Morgan County. That's wild, y'all. And I know some people might be asked like in the congregation, like, man, why is the church growing? And everybody's like, ah, it's because the pastor's so eloquent and he's so academically responsible. No, of course not, right? Because that's not who I am. We don't know all those answers, but we're focused on the prize. We're focused on the goal, which is to lift up the name of Christ. Now we can have people come on a Sunday morning to the largest gathering of Christians in Morgan County. It's crazy stuff. But what does that mean? Why did I tell the story about Michael Bolson, who got married yesterday? One of the biggest events I ever planned as a pastor was for a youth retreat in the North Georgia mountains. And I had parent meetings, and we did scholarship fundraising, and we had church conversations, and I begged and pleaded with these students to come. And I marked off my family, my newborn baby, we marked off a whole weekend for me to go to the mountains to watch God move. And one kid showed up. And it was Michael Bolson who had a wedding yesterday. I would love to tell you as a pastor and as a man who trusts in the Lord that that weekend I spent every waking second thanking God for allowing the vision to be accomplished. But y'all, that was a discouraging time. When you look around and say, Lord, I am pouring everything I have into this. I don't know why the fruit's not there. I promise I'm being faithful. Here we got a guy named Nehemiah that was challenged with building a wall and everybody else was saying, it ain't worth it. It's not possible. The odds are stacked against you. But what did he do? He kept building the wall. Why? Because the vision was from the Lord. I'm not a youth pastor anymore. Thank the Lord, because that was so hard but I trust in the same God who's doing the same calling for me and every one of us. Visions are refined. They don't change. Plans can change. They rarely stay the same. Sometimes the process is slowed, but the vision God gives us remains constant. Yo, what did Jesus say as he was ascending into heaven? I'm coming back. He said, I will come back for you. The angel showed up and said, he's gonna come back the same way he ascended. Did Nehemiah know about all that when he was building this wall? Absolutely not. And yet he built a wall around Jerusalem. Has Jerusalem been in the news again here recently? A little bit. Y'all, as we run towards Christ in faith, we must remember that Christ has said he will be coming toward us soon. 
When I look for the eyes of Jesus, I often find that he is already looking for me. So we must ask ourselves, what is our goal? What is our prize? Why did Nehemiah build a wall? Was it for his generation? Yep. But it was also for a much bigger plan that he didn't fully understand. You see, Nehemiah would go on to build this wall in spite of the scoffers before Jesus was ever born, before Jerusalem would fall to the Romans in AD 70, before a future temple would be rebuilt and revealed to the world that we're still waiting on happening at any point. He didn't know that at one point in the future, Jesus would not only come to the earth, walk the streets of Jerusalem, die on the cross, go to the grave, defeat death itself, and ascend into heaven, but would one day then return to the earth through one of the eastern gates that Nehemiah is building here. Church, God has a plan for us. He has done everything needed for us to have a relationship with him. If God is placed on your heart, I promise you it's worth it. If the distractions come along, if the discouragements come along, we must press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. When we do that, we remember who we are. We remember what God is capable of. We remember that what he says matters more than what anybody else says. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this chance today to gather in your house, to have this conversation, Lord, to read your scripture. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. God, you know in this world, you have placed lots of things on the hearts of your people. There are some here today that are currently living out, Lord, just the vision that you've given them. Others are Lord, on the brink of, of moving on different things. Help us to stay focused during those times, Lord. We know that in this world, we will have discouragement and distraction. But other times, others will likely try to silence us from sharing what you have placed on our hearts to share. Lord, may we have the strength to be faithful. May we remember who you say we are in those moments when we question who we are or others maybe you're telling, trying to tell us who we are, what we're capable of. Lord, we know that you're faithful. We know that you have played, what you've placed in our hearts is worthy of our work and sacrifice and moving towards it. Lord, we wanna please you as we serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name, amen. Church family, we invite you, if you're able to stand with us as we sing our closing song. Uh, if you'd like for someone just to talk to you, to pray with you, I'd love to talk to you about just say anything that's on your heart. Um, if you'd like to talk more about becoming a Christian or getting baptized or just have somebody lay a hand just to pray and talk to the Lord with you, we'd love to have that chance together as we lift our voices.